listening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode 11 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint. I'm Clarice Lockery. And I'm a mom woman. And this week we're taking a long hard look at the woman in the window. We give Spiral, colon, from the Book of Saw, a spin. How do we like them apples? That's my terrible Boston accent. Um, but you'll find out when we review uh, Christos Niku's offbeat comedy, Apples. And Barry Jenkins takes us on a journey with the Underground Railroad, but will we enjoy the ride? All that to come, plus, as cinemas reopen, we throw down some serious hot takes about movie-watching etiquette when we return to screening rooms. Uh, but first, let's have a quick check-in with the team. Amon, Amon, Amon. What's going on and on and on? Sorry, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing which has given me life this week is casting announcements for Knives Out 2. Because, wow, Ryan Johnson is saying, I see what you're doing, Grey Man. I see what you're doing, Bullet Train. Have a look at this. Because Catherine Hahn, Janelle Monet, and Dave Batista have all joined the cast of Knives Out 2. If Catherine Hahn's character name is not Agatha, I will personally be calling Ryan Johnson <laughs> saying, what the hell is wrong with you? Because uh, that is just too good. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's the thing which has been exciting to me most uh, this week because Knives Out was my favorite film of 2019. 2019 was a year, may I remind you, that Avengers Endgame came out. But Knives Out for me <gasps> was my favorite film of okay, 2019. Let's, let's take I loved that it that in. much. <laughs> uh, so I could not be more hyped for Knives Out 2 and the continuation of the Benoit Blanc cinematic universe. I am extremely here for it. I cannot wait for it. And yeah, that's the thing which I've been most excited for lately. So <laughs> safe to say you're a bit meh about Knives Out 2. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's exactly uh, right. <laughs> Clarice, are you are, are you on the hype train that is Knives Out too? It makes no sense. It intrigues me though. <laughs> is that the line? <laughs> <laughs> is that your Daniel Craig? Donut hole in the donut. <laughs> <laughs> this is really making me want to rewatch the film. <laughs> Right. It is really good. Who would be your... I mean, it's pretty stacked cast already. I mean, my ideal addition would be Jason Manzoukas. I think he'd be amazing. Ooh. I want him and Orion Johnson joint. Uh, what do you guys think? I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. I've seen John Hamm's name being bandied about to join the cast, and I, mm. I would also definitely be here for that, too. That would be a good one. The cow yeah. from First Cow. <laughs> If anyone could write a screenplay <laughs> that would make that work, it would be Ryan Johnson. And the cow did it. It was the cow. The cow murdered them. That's my contribution. <laughs> it was the cow all along. Da, or da, da, uh, like Stephen Yard. Yeah. He'd be great. He'd be good. Oh, Stephen Yard. Okay, we've got serious Clarice here for a second. She's like, I did my silly cow, but also real talk. I, yeah. yeah. And then look, I always come at you with a funny answer and then the real answer. <laughs> Yeah. Get the best Variety. of both worlds. Sometimes I feel like you have to like prove your like, like, oh no, I'm just making sure people know that I'm joking. I think someone tweeted like, what was the first, <laughs> someone did, there was a viral tweet going around. It's like, what was the first movie uh, of uh, you, uh, of Scorsese's that you've seen? 
And I quietly said, oh, shark tail, I hurry uh, direct <laughs> to. And then I realized there probably are some fanboys out there who probably doesn't, don't believe that I knew that. So I put underneath, actually, it was good fellas in casino, real talk. <laughs> Hi, it's my mom's VHSs. I definitely watch it too young. I, I have credentials. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm always joking, just as a heads up to people listening. <laughs> Yeah. Do not trust her reviews. Please. She says she likes it. It's just, it's a long con. It it's a so long right. con. It's all like a, a decade long art project that I'll eventually reveal <laughs> at the, the Art Basel in 2025. Well, I can't wait for it. Something to live for. <laughs> From the woman with the easel, shall we go to the woman in the window? This is the woman in the window trailer. 911. My neighbor Jane, she's been stabbed. Detective Little, NYPD. Where's Jane? Mr. Russell believes that you made a mistake. You have never met my wife. <sighs> Ma'am, you all right? I know Jane. Jane's been in my house. I'm talking to the woman in the window. I'm asking her to calm down and tell me. Who died? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Joe Wright's long-awaited Hitchcockian thriller starring Amy Adams as the titular agoraphobic Anna, who believes she's witnessed her new neighbour being murdered by a husband across the street. Dealing with trauma while mixing meds with booze is not doing Anna any favours when it comes to being a reliable witness to the police, but believing her neighbour's son to be in danger, she goes all out to find the truth, even if she doesn't actually go outside of her house. Um, Gary Oldman, Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee, Brian Tyree Henry, and your new favorite and least favorite Captain Americas, Anthony Mackie and Wyatt Russell, star alongside Adams. But it's really a one woman and one cat, plush cat show. Bunch. <laughs> um, I, sorry, you can't see this, guys, because um, this is an audio podcast. But like every so often, little Gravy's head keeps coming up on Twitter. Oh, like, sorry. <laughs> and I love it. It's like, oh, wait, it's my wait, little wait. man. <laughs> that was um, his review of the woman in the window. Oh, okay. Speaking of awesome. women, uh, things in windows. Sorry to digress, but it's just reminded me that I was this morning, like this afternoon. Someone like was looking in my window and they were pointing. I was like, "What are they pointing at?" And it's like, "Oh, they're pointing at Grogu in the window because that's what I keep on Grogu." <laughs> so yeah, so that was my that's a good little segue. Anyway, Hannah, stop. Grogu, stop. Amon, go. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the woman in the window. I was mixed on it. Um, I think the cast. You're listing them off there. The cast is amazing. Um, for this film, I particularly liked Brian Tyree Henry. As the police detective, um, he is someone I always enjoy watching on screen, and I enjoyed, uh, you know, his presence here as like one of the few sort of, you know, out and out good people uh, in the film. Uh, it's also a very stylish film. The cinematographer Bruno Delbonel, I think, does a lot of really good work here. Um, the uh, film is sort of mainly set in Anna's house, and while we don't get a great sense of space, even though the film time film is, is spent there. Uh, it does look very, very pretty. Um, but this is a film, this is a mystery thriller, which does the one thing mystery thrillers shouldn't do, and that's be predictable. Um, <laughs> so that is sort of the main problem here. Um, I also think that we need to 
you know, talk about Amy Adams maybe having an intervention at this point because Arrival was in 2016. Since then, Nocturnal Animals didn't like. Justice League, we've spoken about. <laughs> uh, Vice, which I did have time for. Uh, Hillbilly Elegy, did not like. The Snyder Cut, and now this. Um, and Amy Adams is one of the best actresses of her generation. Just the last sort of few choices she's made. Um, I'm not sure if either of you guys seem, have seen Sharp Objects. I did not see that one. I've heard that she was uh, okay in that. But still, um, I wish we saw her in better stuff. Um, and perhaps like it's not her fault in this case because you know this film has been you know very famously dogged by reshoots and then there was a pandemic. I'm not sure if you guys heard about it, but that uh, delayed the film as well. Um, so we don't know if this is like you know the original. It, it, I, I would not be surprised if this was not the original sort of intention in more ways than one. Uh, there were a couple of instances with certain characters, especially where it felt like you know one one minute they would be acting a certain way and then the next minute they'd be like almost completely different. I speak of Wyatt Russell's character in particular. One minute he's a nice guy, the next minute he's sort of shouting at uh, Amy Anderson's character for reasons. Um, so there's stuff a like lot that. Like which... John Walker, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's stuff like that which makes me sort of question how much reshoots were at play here. Uh, but as I say, on the whole, I'm, I'm mixed on it. I also think that Danny Elfman is one of the best composers of all time. His score is very overbearing in this, which is a shame because Danny Elfman is Danny Elfman. Um, so, yeah. It did not make it to Amon's soundtrack situation. <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Clarice, what do you think? Is the woman need to jump out the window? Oh, that's what I mean. Sorry, that's no. Oh a, lower, a ground floor window. A ground, I mean a ground floor window, maybe. Like, jump out onto the turf because she just needs to get out of the goddamn house. Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> the analogy I came up with or like the comparison, the thing that I thought of is, you know, in Clueless where Cher talks about someone being a Monet where they look okay from a distance and then up close it's like real messy. Mm. Uh, this movie is a Monet because <laughs> you know you go i it's it's so interesting that it's on netflix because you look at it on the little netflix tile and you're like oh amy adams interesting and then you click on it and you go oh joe right i enjoyed <laughs> i enjoyed atonement <laughs> tracy letts is doing the screenplay he's a pulitzer prize winner this is gonna be great and even like i got about maybe a third or halfway through the movie going yeah maybe this is I might like this because I mean it's very it's very upfront about the fact that it is uh cribbing from rear window I think they actually yep. show rear window at one point but then there was like a little bit just like a little bit of Brian De Palma mixed in at one point like some of the there's like a, a blood splatter and a and a way that the the murder that she's witnessing is shot and edited that made me think of like oh like a little giallo a little there's something interesting there okay maybe maybe this is gonna be something and then just as the movie goes on it's like the slow dawn realization of oh my god this is a mess what <laughs> what is happening and honestly the thing is with these these, these like crappy thrillers that have been adapted from best-selling books 
I always want to watch them because you want to know what the ending is. Because you're like, look, this is best selling because everyone's clearly obsessed with the ending. It's got to be something absolutely crazy. Maybe somebody. No, I was about to ruin a movie that came out recently. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Thank you. I pulled back at the right moment. <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe something absolutely crazy happens at the end. But, like, no, it's not worth it, yeah. guy. I'm just warning you, if you're the kind of person who's like, I'm intrigued to see what the ending is it's boring it's so boring (laughs) yeah it's so funny you say that because I feel like I don't know maybe it's because we've watched so many like thrillers when you watch as many movies as we kind of do you kind of get used to what what is going to happen and so pretty much from the beginning I thought oh I think I know where this is going to go and then I thought wait and I thought about who is in this who's make it who's making it it can't be that obvious. So then in my head, I'm like thinking, okay, what if it's like this, like, in my head, I'm creating this like whole different narrative of like, okay, this could be what it's about. And like, okay, so Wyatt Russell's character worked, did some work with the other house. Is it about, you know, I don't want to give any, I mean, do I want to give away? But anyway, <laughs> I suppose to go to back to your point, Amon, I think Amy Adams delivers in every single film she does, but the film does not give that back to her. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. this is how I feel because even in this, there's a moment where where she's like, and it's quite, in a way, it felt very melodramatic. It felt like very Hitchcockian in the way that she delivered it. It's like, oh, this is the type of character that I want to be. This is quite like um, melodramatic. It felt, oh, this is, she's going for it. She's really like, fuck it, I'm going in. There's a scene where like, it's Halloween and she hasn't put, sweets out and the and kids are throwing eggs at the door <laughs> it's just her moment like next to the door like going like leave my house alone tears coming down snot and you're just like oh god this is amy she's like bringing it all for a movie that does not deserve her and i have to wonder when you have a cast with this many names in you're like where is the rest of it like for me i wanted to see the jennifer jason lee cut I'm like, where, mm-hmm. where's that, where's that edit? Because Jennifer Jason Leigh, who famously starred in Single White Female, a film about how she moves into a house with Bridget Fonda and then becomes that person, who <laughs> like becomes mm-hmm. so obsessed with her doppelganger. So in the film where this is also dealing with doppelgangers, she's literally not in it. You're like, why, why did you sign on? And that mm-hmm. makes me think that there was, I wonder if this film was a lot weirder. I wonder if this had a far more interesting kind of like cerebral kind of idea, but actually because they want to make studio interference made Tron's to make it more sellable or kind of more commercial, that they've ended up cutting a load of it out. Because even she's barely in it. Anthony Mackie's barely in it. Um, uh, Julianne Moore is barely in it. I mean, Gary Oldman's in it for like, what, two scenes? Um, and it just made, it made no sense. And then even when you got to the end bit, it was tied up pretty like quickly. It felt like this has not been earned. And I feel like I say a lot of things nowadays, like, has it been earned? And I just feel like sometimes Act 3s, they have not done the business to set up this story for it to earn that sort of ending for you to be like, yeah, of course. It's actually like, oh, wait a sec, sorry, why? But obviously why? Because it feels very tropey. But at the same time, it's like, no you guys are all better than this. Like, you can find a far more interesting ending. So, yeah, I think 
there's some good there's it's a good looking movie it's got it's got kind of like it's very derivative but in a way it's like it's been it's so derivative that anything original it makes me think all the original stuff has been cut just so it's like a poor imitation of what a good like kind of suspenseful claustrophobic thriller could be that's that's my thoughts i i actually look amy adams is amazing <laughs> i just want to say mm. that <laughs> i absolutely mm. love her but i feel like this was kind of a misfire performance from her really it mm. feels like she did not she i think sometimes actors they just can't get to the emotional center of that character and i i just did not i didn't believe it it didn't feel like there's anything genuine about you know, so agoraphobia is a very sort of real thing, <laughs> and here it it every emotional beat was her being like, "I'm the crazy lady in the house." Like, there's one scene where she's trying to like she thinks she's found proof of something, and she's like thrusting a laptop in Wyatt Russell's face, going, "Look, I found the <laughs> thing," and it's like this is not how people act. Yeah, it's and, not good on the yeah. mental health. <laughs> presentation is yeah, it yeah it's like why you're acting like a, a like a witch who lives in a gingerbread house like this is a very <laughs> i just found it a very strange performance in a way her performance is like this melodramatic she was trying to do the old stuff at a time when no one really, actually thinking about it no one really thought about that you could just be these crazy people it's like yeah made it so i feel like in a way it's like oh she's imitating that's best but you're probably right okay so what do we reckon uh this is available on netflix now uh amon are you saying stream or skip? I'm saying skip and watch Arrival instead. The last time uh, a film uh, was equal to Amy Adams' talents. Clarice? Skip. <laughs> I'm sorry, Amy Adams. I'm very excited for Enchanted 2. <laughs> I'll watch that. Yeah, I think it's going to be a skip from me. <laughs> Two, <laughs> three, and that is that. Okay, let's let's uh, spin me right round, baby, right round, <laughs> like a spiral, baby, right round, round, round. This is my thing now. I'm gonna incorporate songs into everything. I apologise, dear listeners, <laughs> but this is this is me now, <laughs> and this is the trailer for Spiral. Jigsaw. Wait, I thought the Jigsaw Killer was dead. He is. Hours, not days. How can I catch this guy? If there's nobody on the bus, I can bus! Let's play a game. <laughs> I'm trying to do the how I'm trying to do the jigsaw voice and I can't I can't do it because I have not I've not really seen the Saw movies. I've just been on the Saw ride. So that's my cultural reference point for Saw is the thing. It's great in Thor Park and you go over the Saw. It's a great roller coaster. <laughs> so we are of course talking about spiral the full title spiral from the book of saw because it's a book now don't worry about it (laughs) (laughs) uh so this is the the ninth installment in the franchise uh which features chris rock on the prowl for a would-be jigsaw copycat killer Rock plays Detective Zeke Banks, a lone wolf in his department after turning in a dirty cop 12 years earlier and living in the shadow of his former police chief father, played by Samuel L. Jackson. 
when the new killer makes a police officer his first victim, Banks leads efforts to catch them before morally corrupt targets meet a gruesome fate. Saw meets a cab. Hannah, what are your thoughts on it? What are your thoughts on Spiral from the Book of Saw? I mean, is is Saw is Jigsaw killer the bad guy? Really, never a bigger question than this movie. But my first thought is this: Samuel L. Jackson is seventy-two. Chris Rock is fifty-six. That means that, like, he was sixteen when he had. <laughs> His character had Chris Rock, so just I love an age difference, and I love it when people play parents. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, "This doesn't work out." Anyway, um, spiral, spiral, spiral. Um, so it's called from the Book of Saw. I wonder if the writers had read <laughs> that book or just kind of browsed and looked at the pictures because this felt like nothing like it. And I'm not saying, I know we're on the ninth one now, but I think there was something really special about the early Saw films um, that really captured something. It really focused on those people, those morally corrupt people put in these kind of like situations where they have to choose. <laughs> I mean, it's a really bad choice. It's a tough choice in these situations to either like lose a foot or kill a guy, you know, and you're sure of your, all that type of stuff. And I felt with this one, it was trying, to, it was, it was trying so hard to, to be like a cop um, thriller, detective thriller that actually condensed all the saw elements into literally three, like two minutes of, of basically like gruesome. It's like, there's no, it's all rushed. All the bits that you wanted more space on, all the things that you want to like about saw that you go to saw movie for, it's absolutely rushed. You're like, well, there's no chance. Like there's no sense of them ever getting out. Basically. I think that's the point why saw gets you. It's like, they might have a chance. Whereas this, it's kind of like, no, we're taking a lot of chance against you, away from you. Um, I felt it was so cliched. I actually wrote down some of my favourite lines um, or favourite moments. Um, so there's a scene, <laughs> there's a scene where, um, I always find it so interesting in films where they're trying to like cut to a new scene that's in a different location. And they'll just throw in this really weird one. And there's this one where like Chris Rock and Max Minghella, who's his like partner, new rookie partner, are talking and talking. And then suddenly it cuts to a scene where Chris Rock just gets in his car and then it cuts to a new one. It's like, why was that scene necessary? Another bit I love is that uh, the amount of cl cliched lines that he delivered. I mean, it's like, we're going to get the bastards who did this. And I love the bit, you're too close to the Zeke. <laughs> um, so filled with all those kind of sentiments. Um, I, um, the funniest bit for me, which I loved, was the bit where, where like Chris Rock is meeting the wife of a... <laughs> of one of the people who murdered and then Max Mingell just pops around and goes hey I'm William <laughs> <laughs> that took me out and then there's a bit where they you know there's a jigsaw doll they're watching a video of the jigsaw doll and this cop goes to the chief head of chief he goes he's doing jigsaw he's even got a doll this time it's like yeah we're all watching the video all together <laughs> We can all see the doll, mate. It's just like, this is what I'm saying. It's like all this bad dialogue um, just hammed up. I mean, Chris Rock apparently did a rewrite of the script and I assume it's just for his dialogue because I suppose even th th those ones with him sparring with Samuel Jackson, there's a few things that are kind of like, oh, I get, guess he sprinkles it on. But it was just just so 
oh, just, just ridiculous. I kind of like, I'm sad because I really, I have to say, I really was looking forward to this movie. Um, I, lo I actually really like Chris Rock's comedy. I thought it was going to be more Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson being buddies, but it was Max Minghella. I knew who the killer was pretty much like, you know, again, say like Woman in a Window, but it's like, sometimes it's the ob most obvious thing and every opportunity, this was just so obvious and yeah, just kind of, in the end, more laughable than anything and not in like a good Chris Rock tambourine stand-up mm. show way in a, oh my God, why did you come back for this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it will not surprise you to know that this was my first Saw film. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm on. Are you okay? I, I feel well, judging. I was thinking about your mental health because I was like, he hates this shit. Like, this is so traumatic. Yeah, I, I, this is my first saw film, and on the basis of what I've seen, I, it doesn't feel like I've been missing anything. Uh, it does not make me want to check the rest out. Um, because I did not have a good time with this. I think, you know, part of the series' signature, I guess, is the, tor is the torture porn. And if you're coming to this film for that, maybe you'll be satisfied in a way because, as you mentioned, there are a few gruesome scenes where I definitely looked away because just, ugh, it was nasty. Um, but yeah, this film is not good. And I, as you said, I, I like Chris Rock. Um, I, I enjoy his comedy stuff. I like his stand-up stuff. Uh, he, he wrote, directed and starred in Top 5 in 2014. That was a film I really, really liked. Mm. Um, but when it comes to dramatic acting, um, at least the dramatic acting in this film, it was not good. I did not believe him for most of the runtime. It feels like his default setting was to shout and squint and swear at everything. And that, <laughs> it just didn't work. Like there was one bit, the, his very first scene uh, where he's in comedian Chris Rock mode and he's talking about Forrest Gump. And I found that hilarious. I thought that was great. Probably the best scene in the movie. After that, it all goes mm. downhill for him, at least on an acting level. Um, you mentioned it. You got Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson in your movie. Why are you not having those two actors together for the bulk of your movie? That's just, I don't get that decision at all. I think that mm. was just, you know, very, very flawed. And then any point this film is trying to make about police brutality and racial injustice feels shallow at best. Um, so, yeah, I did not like this one at all. Yeah, it feels very presumptuous to me. Because, <laughs> again, I've seen, like, half a Saw movie, and also I have been on the Saw ride. So this is <laughs> where I'm coming from. But I also feel like, you know, it's such a huge franchise that I've absorbed quite a lot of it through osmosis. A bit like Game of Thrones, mm. <laughs> which I know so much about Game of Thrones, having not watched it. Mm. Um it's... That is mad to me. <laughs> we we are not done discussing that, Clarice, but carry on. <laughs> uh, well, like, I didn't, I didn't know about Pedro Pascal back then, so give me a break. Hey, look, I have watched Breaking Bad. I think we all have series you that we kind Breaking of, like, Bad? just missed. I also have not seen I, like, that. watched the first season. Wow, okay. <laughs> revelations on the Fate of Black podcast um, this week, ladies and gentlemen. But the marketing <laughs> kept going on about how, you know, this was... You know, Chris Rock, he came up with this, like, amazing new revolutionary idea that's going to completely change what the Saw franchise is. And he pitched it to Lionsgate and they said, we can't resist this. And watching it, I just, I got to the end of the film and I was like, what was the thing? Because I personally 
don't really understand <laughs> like why this is revolutionizing it just seems like it's doing the thing that happens with all franchises where mm. you start off with the first film with this very like concentrated thematic idea of oh let's imagine <laughs> let's imagine a serial killer who's a little bit like an old testament being of of cosmic punishment you know you can i know what how you have sinned and you must pay for it and here are these two options and it's the kind of thing that like i don't know kind of thing like when you're at a bar and some guy's trying to hit on you and he's like would you rather saw your own foot off or eat a guy's heart which one <laughs> yeah would you rather isn't it and they did that film i swear they did would you rather that movie after sork so like oh let's get in on this uh but it feels like yeah at this point we sort of lost the old testament punishment biblical side of it and it's just like we're doing murders, but they're extra complicated. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, I just didn't, this is the thing, I just didn't, I I came away from it, and it might be the fact that I'm not a big Saw fan, and I have not invested myself in this franchise, I just came away from it being like, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get, like, <laughs> A, what this film's trying to do, I, I agree with them on the police brutality message is like, very confusingly laid out and doesn't really do anything and and yet i didn't really get what the saw traps were doing i didn't really get what chris rock was doing i agree about the squinting it was like there are a lot of shots of his thinking face (laughs) and it's just him like hmm he looks like that meme of that woman who's like bent over like looking at looking everyone uses it you know that went viral yeah. that girl is like squinting looks like they can't um, they keep using that shot for very long time periods of time and it's like i get he's a detective like detectives think you don't need to visually demonstrate that to us so i don't know do you think they purposely made it look like he was getting delivered tiffany gifts <laughs> because it's the same color it was it, there's a thing where it's like you get sent boxes with things in it, and they're all the same color as a Tiffany box. And I wonder if like Tiffany's are like, hold up, well, we don't want that brand yeah, association. Yeah, don't. It's not the same shade because I think that shade is copyrighted, isn't it? Oh, interesting. You can't. Interesting. Yeah. There you go. I don't think fact. anybody else. At least dropping knowledge. I think the Tiffany shade <laughs> is specifically only for Tiffany's, and nobody else can use it. Fashion. But to, to, I suppose to to to, to not um, <laughs> to not um, I suppose single Chris Rock out. I would argue that everyone's acting was terrible. It was honestly <laughs> the mm-hmm. most wooden uh, performances I've ever seen. Um, even Samuel Jackson, probably the best. But there's a whole unexplained thing. He just goes somewhere, and then you don't see him for several scenes, and then he comes back, and you're like, "Where were you, bitch?" <laughs> Where you fucking been? <laughs> I, I do think they explained that uh, after fashion. I'm not going to obviously... But that's what I mean. It's like, it's annoying. It's like, I I just feel like it's cutting and it's all this like... It's the same with Woman in the Window. It's like, you get to the end, it's like, this is just... This is not worth the journey um, at all. And as someone who actually really... Enjoy, I actually thought The Saw did something really special. I think this was trying to be a bit more like Seven. It thought... It really thought it was trying to be Seven. Um, and it was not. And it's interesting you said about like, oh, Chris Rock pitched it. I, I mean, 
I looked at the Wikipedia beforehand and it says that the script was already written. <laughs> it was all written and he just polished it up and that was it. So actually, the, and it was the directors, the writers and directors who did Jigsaw, they're the ones who wrote it. But they're not even the original... But you know, James Wan and Lee Wan are executive producers. I suppose they were just like, I'll get my money. <laughs> <laughs> and Lee Wan yeah. fa famously starred in it, in the original one, didn't he? I did not know that. Yeah, kind of dropping knowledge. Everyone dropping yeah. knowledge apart from my mum. <laughs> yeah, she's serving up. So, yeah. So, Hannah, are we going to stream or... Oh, no, wait. Wait. Hey, cinemas. That's right. Open. Say it. Go inside cinema. <laughs> you go inside cinema and watch? Or or wait or wait till on on DVD or not see at all. <laughs> okay, so what you're saying, screens? Yeah, screen sorry. <laughs> yeah. I just forgot that cinemas are opening yeah, on no. Monday the seventeenth in I the know. UK, so you will be able to watch Spiral inside of a cinema. Inside with other, with people. other people. We are all very excited to go back to the cinema um but we are just conscious that obviously like weird times not everyone's gonna feel safe going back so like please don't take us say go to the cinema go to the cinema as like a you know do it if you feel uncomfortable please do what feels most comfortable for you and if you if you don't feel safe you don't feel ready like don't feel pressured to do it like the cinema will always be there for you it's waiting for whenever you're ready so last week um I tweeted, there was a tweet saying, what what film are you most looking forward to seeing back in cinemas? I was like, quote tweet, I said, Spiral. Um, I would like to formally retract that statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think you should see it in cinemas. I don't even think you should see it on DVD or screen. I think you should just skip it. And that's that. I'm on <laughs> screen, stream or skip? I concur with Hannah. Skip, watch. Uh, top five instead, not only for Chris Rock uh, being great in it, but also for one of the greatest cameos I've ever seen from none other than the late, great DMX. Oh, I like how you always offer a film when you like when you're like <laughs> skip, but watch this instead. I like that; it's very sweet. I will suggest that you watch the original Saw, which I still think was a real game changer, and I thought it was a really you know, claustrophobic, thriller, scary. Yeah, it was gruesome, but it didn't like, it, in a way it didn't languish it in, it in the way that late, later films did, but yeah, so. I would say Skip, and I don't know what to offer. Chris Rock was the zebra in Madagascar, right? Correct. <laughs> Watch that, I like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> the little lemur who's like i like to move it move it yeah. what a oh great movie <laughs> that is a good movie so that was um spiral but before you see madagascar how about we take a little goosey gander at apples uh we don't have a trailer i could i could eat an apple <laughs> as in like as in, uh, I don't think you'd like the sound of that um, that is maybe, the audio um... content that people have been craving <laughs> well from Madagascar to the Big Apple n well not Big Apple several apples it's <laughs> apples 
we don't have the trailer for it because it's a foreign language, it's a Greek film, so um, apologies to our Greek listeners, um, but um, yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna get straight into it. So, if you fancy a pandemic movie that's not about the current pandemic, but one where people are losing their mer- memories, then Apples is the film for you. Okay, so Greek filmmaker Christos Niku, who's been a collaborator for a long time with Yorgos Lanthimos, this is directorial debut, and it's an offbeat comedy drama about Aris, a solitary man in his late 30s who becomes a victim of an unexplained surge of memory loss disorders in his city. He's forced to confront his severe amnesia through an experimental new treatment, and throughout the film, it's kind of has you kind of guessing about what's going on with Aris, what's going on in the world, and I suppose it's like a really nice kind of, I don't know, a kind of melancholy comment on our lives and individuality and loneliness. Um, so Clarice, I feel like you're the best person to go to. <laughs> 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 That's so mean, I'm sorry. Um, no, I'll that again. <laughs> no, you're right, I'm hella lonely, so. <laughs> I... No, because it's like you say so much about like loneliness and you joke about it and I thought that was a really- um, I'm not offended at all, you were very- joke. <laughs> you were very on point. I am not hugged anybody. No, I hugged somebody last week. I hug somebody. I hug some. I hug somebody. <laughs> Just everybody. Um, listen up. I hug somebody. So I'm doing Woo. great. Don't worry about me. I I like. It's probably not surprising to anybody that I, the Greek weird wave is absolutely my shit. Like a hundred percent, and I was instantly and fully on board. <laughs> <laughs> with this movie like because i i actually went into it not looking up that he'd worked with the august lanthimos but the second that my little lizard brain connected the dots and was like oh this is greek weird wave <laughs> <laughs> i just enjoyed it the whole way through i think it reminded me a lot of a august lanthimos movie alps which uh if you haven't seen just amazing great and the thing i love so much about this genre that this film does so well is that it takes one like very subtle small sci-fi concept which here is the idea of a pandemic where where people are having amnesia and then it it grounds it and it places it completely in our world (laughs) but sort of like an anxiety ridden version of a world where you're really looking at the social impact of this idea. It's sort of like, because like so many sci-fi movies are thinking, you know, they're thinking more about all oh, the metaphysical implications. Da, da, da. Like the Greek weird way movies are just like, wouldn't this make it so much worse to exist on planet earth and have to talk to other people? <laughs> this is what, this is what I love so much about apples. It's the way that, that all these people with amnesia are kind of having to move through the world and figure things out and they they all bring with them this camera <laughs> they're told to bring a camera to to take photos and it mm. raises this absolutely brilliant question of like look who are we if we're not a collection of our memories of the past and also our anticipation for the future but then like what are our memories 
because we know that memories are futile, that they're they're fallible, they can't be trusted. Remember Memento? That's what he said. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> like what are, what are our memories if they do not exist in the world in a concrete and mm. documented documented sense? And because this guy and and others like him are disconnected from their parents lives because it's not just that they have amnesia it's that often because their family members have amnesia they're forgotten they don't have a home to go back to they don't have a life to go back to so they have this weird situation where they know that they've existed on planet earth for xyz years but they don't know who they were or what they did and and the que- and the film asks the question of like right <laughs> is this a bad thing because you have lost everything that you had before all memories good or bad pain love joy uh success failure or is it great because like if you had a real depressing fucked up life you could just bedoink start again <laughs> fresh yeah. a new page and i i just love that and that is what it this genre is so good at just asking these these very simple social questions that have massive implications and i just i love it i love it just <laughs> give me more greek weird wave nom 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 delicious nom, 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 nom. <laughs> were you nom nom for apples amon in general i love apples um uh, we're talking film... about the film right not fruit uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was talking about the fruit just then the film itself i'm a bit mixed on i think I liked it on a cerebral level more than I did on an emotional level. Um, because Clarice is right, the ideas at play here are fascinating. Um, but I just didn't connect with it emotionally. And I think some of that is by design because the main person is played by Aris Servitalis and he plays the character, uh, with he plays it deadpan and i'm sure that, that was by design but instead of playing it with that dry tone it made me struggle to connect with him on an emotional level and then i also thought the first after the first third it was a bit repetitive because they're having um to to go and do these tasks which are which go progressively weirder in an interesting yeah. way but it, it felt like it felt like they that didn't progress the narrative much. Um, so those two things, I think, contributed to me not fully uh, vibing with this one. Um, but yeah, on on an ambition level, in terms of the ideas at play, I think it's amazing. Like, to even have this idea for a film in the first place, I think is really, really interesting. There's a lot that you could do here. Um, I just, yeah, it didn't quite work for me. Uh, well it worked for me um i'm i'm absolutely i'm like an apple a day uh for me i thought um it really it really hit me i think films like this where actually it's so understated and subtle but it can hit you in a big way on an an existential level because you touched on this clearly and kind of spoke about like it's like what is the meaning of our lives? How do we know that we exist? What does it mean to have an existence? Is it like, do we have to do these things to have a life? Like what is an, what is a good life? Is it 
going to have sex with someone? Is it going, um, dating someone? Is it, you know, going to a movie? Um, is it, you know, all these moments is like, what, what really makes up a life? Who makes up a life? And I think what's so brilliant about having this character Ari is that, uh, throughout it, you know, as it goes on, there's definitely like a layer to it that you're like, you're questioning him and you're like, oh, wait a sec. Maybe it's not all it seems like we think we know this thing, but then actually there are little tiny little like moments that just give away that maybe, oh, this could be different. And then that poses these bigger questions about like how we feel about ourselves. And I think it's point to your things like if you're having a sad life, you know, what would you do if you could actually just forget and do something else, you know? Um, in a way, it's kind of like a bit Kaufman-esque. I mean, we talk about the Greeks, but I think if you look at Eternal Sunshine and Spot the Mind, obviously that's a very similar situation with raising a memory of someone. Um, but I think that's a bit more more aggy in a way. That's more like uh, uh, like very um, up there, like irreverent. Whereas this one's like even I would even say it's a lot less, a lot more calmer than Yorga Slanthamos. Like there's a real quietness to it that feels, yeah, it just feels very real. It's, it almost, I mean, there's so many, I mean, I'm thinking of every single irreverent kind of director, but like, even like Taika Waititi, <laughs> like there's, mo there's there's a bit of that in it. There's a bit of, it feels like sometimes at moments I'm watching Flight of the Concords, or even we saw Limbo earlier this year. And I think there are that deadpan comedy. I think there was like notes of that. So I love that sort of humor. I know it can be so restrictive of the emotion mm. it kind of overtly puts out. But I think in a way that's so that for me that works because it makes me focus on rather than like, oh God, I feel this way. And then it's actually like, but why do I feel that way? Why is, and I, and I love a film that makes you ask these questions and leaves you feeling a bit like, like, a, I don't know, like you're thinking about it days later. And I definitely felt that with this. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big, big, big fan of Apple's. Um, so I obviously love it. I'm going to say stream. Um, it's on Curzon Home Cinema and in Curzon. I think it's exclusive at Curzon. So get yourself to a... Actually, forget that. Screen it. Go to a cinema and see this movie. I think it'll enjoy it even more when you're not looking on a laptop or on a TV. I think you'll just be totally undistracted and focused on it. So that's me. Uh, Clarice? Yes. Screen it, I would say. Um, I think it's, it's just a wonderful nice experience and i think it would benefit from that that sort of weird quiet you get in the cinema where where you're you're conscious of other people but not really interacting <laughs> i think that adds to it and also watch alps which i realize i forgot to mention also has uh eris Savitalis in it so cool go go watch it at the cinema and then go home and watch alps I need to watch mm -hmm. Alps. I haven't seen that. My Yorga Slanthamoth is very um, is very restricted to the English language ones, and I think I need to get get on that. I need to get mm -hmm. on that. Um, Amon, okay. thoughts? Screen? Stream? Skip? I'm going to say stream. Um, unless you are very much in the bag for Greek weird cinema, then if you are, then I'd say screen. But if you're not, uh, it's a tentative stream uh, from me. Um, there are some really good ideas at play here and uh, your reviews and your thoughts have made me think that maybe I should give it another pass. So maybe I might just do that. Well, I hope you just cut um, Amon's verdict out there, please. <laughs> <laughs> you want Amon to cut Amon's verdict Amon, out? Amon, cut Let's yourself, you please. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. okay, on that note, um, we've got the Underground Railroad.
Where do they go? The ones that run away and never return. There is nothing here but suffering. Pain and suffering. It is time to go. So the Underground Railroad is based on a book by Colson Whitehead, and it stars Duzo Imbedu uh, as Cora and Aaron Pierre as Caesar. They are slaves in an alternate 19th century southeastern USA, and they escape captivity via the Underground Railroad, which in this alternate reality is a secret railway uh, with a series of safe houses, uh, and they sort of escape using that, trying to find a new life, but they are pursued by infamous slave catcher Ridgway, who's played by Joel Edgerton. Clarice, what did you make of Barry Jenkins's latest? I mean, fucking hell. Barry. <laughs> and that's Clarice's review. <laughs> Hannah, what did you make of Barry Jenkins? <laughs> okay. The thing that's is... Me. <laughs> Done. Go watch it. <laughs> the thing is, so I, I've read the Colson Whitehead, the book, and it is phenomenal and i was already kind of like but i read it over a summer i think and i just like every chapter i was like this is spectacular writing and uh it's a it's sort of a, it's magical realism so it imagines that the underground railroad was was actually an underground railroad and it that kind of it kind of sounds silly but the brilliance of colson whitehead's writing is that it is so beautifully laid out on the page and 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 the way that he describes things uh i felt so present i felt so present in those moments and and if it, it really felt kind of like history coming alive and so i <laughs> it was coming at it with like having read this amazing book knowing that barry jenkins is like one of the greatest living directors I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet I was still I was still thinking god I I wonder how he's going to handle the magical realist elements of it because I could see it so clearly in my head when I was reading it the the actual railroad and how that worked and I was like but I'm not quite sure how it would work on TV but it works. Why did I ever think it would? <laughs> I'm such an idiot. It like he he directs it exactly like it's in the book as you would imagine it reading the book and he captures everything that is in that book he he does that same thing of of like that historical period it it feels so alive and you feel so present with those characters and you like it, there is so much pain in it obviously because of the the subject but there is so much I don't. I don't want to say beauty because it's a really painful and dark story. But but I think you're right. But there, there yeah, beauty. there is beauty because yeah. it's it's interesting because Barry Jenkins, like his movies, have always been so concerned with with bodies and kind of how how bodies interact. Like there's all those shots in Moonlight of sort of hands and arms and eyes looking at each other and and how we connect. And so putting it in this context of of a historical period in which you know, people's bodies were treated as property. Um, like, it, it's it's such a, it's such a, like, perfect application of the Barry Jenkins, like, viewpoint and his themes and and the way that he, he sees how all these characters interact with each other 
and sorry I'm not making sense because I'm just like I'm still processing it because I watched it last night and I like I need more time because <laughs> it's it's like this is this is it and yeah and, and what I find what I really particularly like about this story is that I think most narratives about you know the Underground Railroad and and uh, slaves escaping uh, from enslavement um is usually it's focused on kind of the running away part. And once they get away, it's like, ta-da, it's great. Obviously, mm-hmm. that was not the case in the historical reality. And and what is so nuanced and layered and is is the way that um, Cora moves through the different states and, and how each one is different and... and one state might say, yeah, like, we don't, we're totally against that. It's, everything's great here. And, and actually it's not, there are layers to it. Um, uh, Tusu and Budu and Aaron Pierre are, are so great because Barry Jenkins really knows how to cast people and they're both really yes, great at doing <laughs> the very, you know, the Barry Jenkins close up uh-huh. where, you know, you're just sort of allowed this moment with the character and allowed this moment of connection and confrontation and in both of their eyes like you see the whole the whole story is there they don't even have to say anything and um yeah i just as you can tell i think this is a masterpiece and i yeah am <laughs> so moved and i love barry jenkins i just love barry jenkins he's bloody great isn't he <laughs> he is great i felt there's something about barry jenkins uh, uh, he's he's a romantic filmmaker, and one would one would question whether someone who's so uh, loves to shoot in such a romantic way, how do you apply that to an era that's so filled with horror, like mirrored horror and pain, where African Americans are enslaved and white colonizers are hurting them? Like, how do you show the reality of that um, while not languishing in the in the, in the torture, the horror of it. How do you show that? And I think what's so great about what Barry's doing is that, yes, this is an alternative history, but it's also an alternative portrait of the people and of certain specific people, the marginalized people. They're more than slaves. They don't, they're not slaves. They're people who have been enslaved. They're actually in this, what's so great about the series, we see them be their midwives. They're like, you know, they run vineyards. They're, you know, they, 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 they could be scientists if they want to. Like there's, it kind of, it, it opens it up and gives you a new understanding of that era. And, you know, you know, some of the kind of signature moves that he, he does, I think color is always integral to Barry's movies, lighting. I mean, God, how many times does he like flood him and uh, James Laxton Saga flood his subjects with light, you know, there's some beautiful shots where like Cora's and like Arabic and one of the shots where they're together in this field. And it's just, it's just, just beautiful. And the tableau vivants of these characters staring at the camera. It's like, look, we're here. Here's my humanity. I exist. Like witness me. That's what it feels like. Um, I think what he does well though, Barry, is that as much as he offers this kind of romantic portrait and the, I suppose the lightness, because this is a film, you know, that history is steeped in like something that's so concerned with white and black that this film, he uses light and shade so perfectly in this to actually show that those considered black are given so much light that actually there is light at the end of the tunnel and sometimes it's a train that's going to 
take you outside, take you out of the darkness. Um, I think he doesn't take a sentimental approach. You were saying earlier, Clarice, about how like, usually it's, oh, they get freed and they have these great lives. It's actually, no, like this is the reality. Like it wasn't all like, oh, zippity doo da, like we're all happy and then mm -hmm. we're picking cotton and oh yeah, we all go, oh no, these are real people who are trying to survive, who are trying to have the least painful existence. And some of the times that means pushing someone forward for punishment instead of you doing what doing what the person says that you avoid pain so you avoid the whipping post i think he does not um as i said like languish in that pain or showing it but he also like offers you like a through way to see how this could progress we see that with the way he visualizes the subterranean you know the subway system i love the as the series goes along i love how that develops i love that we see different aspects through each episode like the different states you know obviously there she's trying to get north so we go to south carolina north carolina you know there's twilight zone episodes there's one that feels like a holocaust drama you know i love the moments where we have uh see we have episodes dedicated to ridgeway uh the slave the slave catcher and also mabel who is cora's mother i think they add just such um a greater understanding of who these people are because this is a series that's about trauma yes the trauma of slavery but also like familial trauma like Cora is so sad and hardened and angry because her mother abandoned her um Ridgeway is angry because of his relationships with parents like so much of this is kind of breaking that down and showing that I think so it's so interesting the idea it's not trying to say these people are evil actually no one's innately evil that these are real human people human beings that are doing this like the bad stuff and the good stuff we need to get away from this idea that someone is innately evil that this is doesn't exist no because that's that's basically gaslighting our history and so i think you know add to that you know sound tech oh God, i could go on sorry i'm on you should get in here but i just can't <laughs> we can't stop it, talking about it i know i can't but it just it felt like it felt like operatic and the composition that Barry Jenkins put together when it comes to Nicholas Brutel's score which was like so vibrating you felt it and it, it I loved how it swerves into different kind of you know you hear sax in one minute violins and others it's so it's so well done I love the, the way that they use the light I love the cinematography I love the sound mix I love that there's so much um like noise around that feels real visceral you hearing it you know it's just adds to the layers of how beautiful this portrait is um yeah i wish you could hang underground railroad in the louvre because i just loved it mm -hmm. and sorry I, I haven't even spoke about the acting but literally if um if uh, uh mbedu and edgerton joel edgerton don't get um emmy nominations or wins i will be surprised those two were just outstanding like they were profoundly good yeah uh i co-signed everything you just said <laughs> and that's it for the underground yeah. no, i know we um, said so much we've left you like <laughs> but actually you say that there's so much more you can say it's so good no well there's one thing you haven't said because to do that we we're, we're gonna slow down for a second we're gonna take it smooth because we're gonna go to amon's soundtrack situation Sometimes that's right situation. there it is there's my jingle love it um this is only the third collaboration between nicholas Brutel and barry jenkins and yet at this point i would put them right next to uh 
Zimmer and Nolan, I'd put them Zim, right Zimmer. next to. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got the keys? To... Sorry. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'm so bad. I just ruined it. Uh, I put them right next to Spielberg and Williams. They are one of the greatest director composer tandems we have ever seen. And I actually had the pleasure of speaking to Brutal a couple of weeks ago about uh, the Underground Railroad. That uh, article is going to be on Composer Magazine on Monday, so please look out for it. But, you know, a core a cornerstone of any Brutal-Jenkins joint is how they use sound to augment the score. And I think with the Underground Railroad, they do that in a big way, bigger than they have done before. Um, you know, when I when I was speaking with Patel, he was talking to me, he was talking to me about how uh, he took the sound of drilling, which mm-hmm. Barry just texted him one day and incorporated that into the score, and took the sound of cicadas and slowed it down and incorporated that into the score. And I'm sure that there's a million other things, just random sounds which they took as inspiration to augment the score. And the beautiful thing about their collaboration is because is, is that um, Patel started working on this almost when Jenkins did, when you bring a composer into the process that early, it can only lead to good things. And the score for this one is insane. Um, they're, they're releasing it in three volumes. The first volume's out today. I can't wait to listen to it on its own uh, because it's just, it's it's one of the best things Patel has ever done. Has ever done. And I've been listening, I've been re-listening to some of the stuff that he's been that he's done. He's just incredible, incredible. Like, Vice is one of the best scores in his filmography, and we barely talk about it because he's got Moonlight, because he's got a Bill Street can talk. It's just incredible. The man is one of the best composers working today. Amon, would you say that then, would you say that Barry Jenkins, I suppose most of his success comes from the fact that he works with the same collaborators throughout, like he's created that. Would you say that? I mean, in a sense, yes, because... When you work with the same people, you get on the same level. If, 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 it's, if it's the right person, then it can only lead to good things. Like the reason why I put Jenkins and Battelle on the level of uh, a Zimmer and a Lonan, even though they've only done three proje- projects together, is because they are so simpatico. Mm. It's, it's, it's unnatural. It's so unique. Um, and the more people you can find like that who are just on your wavelength and get you, it can only lead to good things because you know what they're capable of. You know how far they can stretch. You know how to talk to them. You know what to say. And that can only lead to great things. Um, so yes, uh, is the short answer to your question. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything you said, I particularly love the fact that, you know, after Antebellum and them, you know, the the portrayal of the brutalization of black bodies on screen has, you know, felt exploitative rather than actually having anything to say. And honestly, if it wasn't Barry Jenkins's name on this, after the first episode, I would have been tempted to not even continue. Because the first episode in particular, you know, they he, he doesn't doesn't shy away from the truth of the situation. And there's a lot of brutal stuff that you see. But because this is Barry Jenkins, because he has the history he has, I trusted that he had something to say um about you know this history and he absolutely does um and you've already outlined uh some of that in you know a, a brilliant way so i'm not going to repeat it but he just he definitely has something to say i love 
and I love how he says it. The visuals are incredible. But yeah, um, this is just an incredible piece of work. Um, Barry Jenkins is now three for three. Uh, I, um, I'll full disclosure. I have not finished uh, the show yet because I don't think um, this is a show that you can binge in the typical way. And when I say that, like I'm talking sort of go from one to ten within like two days, three days. Um, you know, again, there's a lot of heavy stuff here, um, but this is definitely, definitely a show worth watching. It's one of the best things I've seen so far this year. Um, it's a shame that Amazon have not marketed it uh, really because it deserves a lot of hype. Uh, but don't worry, we will take care of that for you. Uh, <laughs> this is special. It's funny you say about, um, well, not funny, but I agree with you about how you should watch it. Because I've watched, I had to watch all 10 episodes to do a written review and I mm-hmm. did it over three days and you know I spoke to some friends who also reviewed it um you know people who are black and white and I think there is a different experience if you're coming out I mean look this is you know if you're we've all got our individual takeaway and what we can handle I mean we're seeing a lot of trauma there yes there's a lot of beauty but it's challenging throughout and I think mm-hmm. you know I watched it over three days and I think that's better than me having to like do a lot of it. I watched the first two episodes, first two, three episodes, and then I kind of had went to bed, did the next day, and then did some more the next day. Um, and I think you should really, just for our listeners, I think you should really think about, like, what you can handle. Just take, mm-hmm. you don't, I mean, everyone's relative to what they're binging, you know, some people binge in a day, some people think, oh, I binged it in a week, you know. Wh- whatever works with you, and just remember, like, you know, there is no rush, it's there. If you want to, if you can handle it, do it because it's a beautiful series. It's an amazing series. It's a masterpiece, but it will be there for a while. So don't feel like you need to, um, just because everyone else does, do go at your own pace. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's pretty clear where we stand. It's going to be uh, stream or skip for this one. Clarice, stream or skip? Stream. Oh, there's something else I want to say, but I've talked too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, say it. Say okay. It. Say we it. We were talking about the, the brutality, and, and there was one shot that really, really struck me where um, I won't say something awful is happening to, to someone. And he makes mm. the decision to, to do a shot from their perspective, mm. which really yeah. struck me. I don't think that's a common thing. In, in these kinds of narratives, I was like, oh, yes, he's reminding us of, like, the humanity of, of yeah. this character and reminding us that this brutality is happening to a person and fuck you. Yeah. 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 Ah, he's so cute. You know <laughs> Sorry. I'm so I really love Barry Jenkins. <laughs> I'm so glad you mentioned that, Chris, because that happens quite early, very early, and you get through to it, and I'd actually forgotten about it. But I'd written it down, and now, like you've mentioned it, but it's just again, God, what, God, what a yeah, bloody great <laughs> filmmaker he is. We're so lucky to be in his lifetime. Thank you very much. Yeah, sorry <laughs> for just making noises. I'm sorry, everyone. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, oh, so I, I suppose it's me next, isn't it? Uh, I think I'm definitely yeah. going to stream. But like, just be, do yourself a favor and just have a little think about how you want to stream it. Just don't do it. Do it at your own pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and it's going to be a stream for me as well the one the final thing i'll say is that uh Bertel and jenkins they're also very good at knowing which scenes can and should be augmented by music and which scenes don't need it and they, they they're just like they're just awesome together i i can't wait to see and hear 
what they do next. Uh, well, well, we know what they're going to do actually next. Actually, they're going to be working on the Lion King uh, prequel together. Uh, so that should be interesting because um, wow. because Hans Zimmer. I mean, the, the Lion Hans Zimmer's Lion King score is one of my favorite Zimmer scores. Period. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, if uh, Bertel will be taking any inspiration from that or doing something totally original. Whatever he does, I can't wait to look. I can't wait to hear it. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to like co-opt Clarissa's costume corner, but there's, I'm just going to add, there's a scene in episode <laughs> two um, and there are three gentlemen rocking these like brown and I want to say teal or like pistachio colored suits. Like the costume in this is, it, and I just remember seeing it. I was like, that is gorgeous. I love it. <laughs> like for me, that sticks in my head. I was like, this is, uh, yeah, it was just, yeah, so costumes in this are stunning. I think it's Caroline Esseline, Esseline, I want to say. That yellow yeah. dress is great. Oh. I just want to shout out the yellow dress as well. Really good. Let me tell you, that yellow dress, a statement dress, and I want to talk more about that when you guys have all watched the series. Anyway, sorry, I don't want to give spoilers, but anyway. Um, yeah. So so let's, let's, um, let's move on, because it's time for our... Hot take. I'm worn out from all the yelling about Barry Jenkins. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with cinemas reopening this week, yay! Woo! Praise the Lord! Um, a lot of us might be kind of out of practice on how to conduct ourselves in a darkened room full of strangers. So what is the best cinema etiquette one can have when we return to theatres? Is pick and mix a thing of the past? Are you allowed to talk during trailers? Are there any, any extenuating circumstances for your phone to be on? Um, team, what are your hot takes? Amon, go. Tell me what you think. What are you doing when we go to see a movie? Oh my God, I'm so excited. I get to see my first movie with you guys, I think. Yeah. But, but tell me what you, what's your what's your pet peeves and what's your demands? Uh, pick and mix. Uh, I'm here for it. Please bring it back. Um, love me some pick and mix. I sort of alternate between that and popcorn uh, most of the time. So, yeah, love me some pick and mix. There is no circumstance where your phone should be on in the cinema. That is my worst pet peeve. If your phone is on and it distracts me in any way, you know, I will try and stare you down. I'll try and get your attention to stare you down. If that doesn't happen and you continue doing it, I will shout at you. Um, I did that at a screening. It was at a screening of The Invisible Man way back when. And I was actually in the front row for that. And there was a guy to my right who would not turn his phone off. It was near the end of the film. I was like, turn your phone off. And he did it quickly. Like, I don't want to have to do that. Come on, that was very, um, yeah. wow. That, that, I'm <laughs> I don't, as angry as I've ever seen you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like to do that. As, as you know, I'm not an angry person. I'm a person i'm fun i'm a mom you're like the chillest person i know it's great you're like like that's why i like doing this podcast because i get really stressed but like clarice and amon are very chill individuals it's like oh you bring my chill levels down you're welcome hannah um so so yeah um phone is definitely definitely a no-go do not talk to each other during the film during the trailer if you want to exclaim excitement about a certain ridiculous thing that Vin Diesel just did in the Fast 9 trailer. I understand that. I get that. I can get behind that. That's fine. Um, just in the film itself, 
Shut your yap. And yes, uh, you know uh, what? You know what? I am going to counter you, son. <laughs> okay. Because you say, right? You say no talking. But as we've mentioned previous on this podcast, is that myself and Amon were in the screening of Hereditary together. Oh. And we did, we we spoke a lot. <laughs> like, we were like, what the fuck's happening? We were doing this. So, like, I think you need to be specific. Because also, if you remember, remember that massive video that's gone viral where people are watching Endgame? And it's like, when the when the things opened up, so it's true. So, it's like, so for you, it's like, they can't have, if it's about the film, is that okay? If you're, like, reacting or, like, verbalizing things about the film, is that okay? But if you're talking about what you're having for dinner tonight... Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, if you're talking about dinner, if you're sort of asking what does so-and-so mean rather than just watching the film and letting it play out and then asking your questions after, like you should, then that's a problem. But the beautiful thing about the cinematic experience, which I've really, really missed, is that when people are reacting to the same thing at the same time, in the same way, there's nothing like it. It's why, even though, you know, I like Netflix, I like Amazon Prime, and I've really made, we've all made good use of that over the last year or so, nothing that, you know, home viewing can do, whether whether or not you have the, a thousand inch screen in your home, nothing that home viewing can do can replicate the cinematic experience. It just can't. Um, that is why it will be eternal. That is why it's special. That is why it's forever. And I can't wait to experience that again. Aww. Clarice, well, you are you no to pick a mix? You're like, no, get out, dirty germs, no more. Um, well, look, I've only had pick a mix once. It was before... What? Uh, I had it for Percy Jackson. I had the most extreme sugar high. Felt like I had hallucinated <laughs> the entire film. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't go back because I have no impulse control. So I always get too much. Uh, but if you want, pick and mix. Well, my rules. So my rules are <laughs> snacking. I feel like you gotta eat it during the trailers. Don't be eating during the movie and num 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 num. I just think there's something so counterintuitive to have popcorn as the main cinema snack when it's fucking so loud. Crunchy. Like it's not it's just so it's like you have the wait a second, I'm gonna do some popcorn ASMR. Like when you're getting when you're getting when you're getting you're like trying to get it and then you have it and it's like that's all you hear. It's like, yo, close your mouth. <laughs> I will say it's interesting because like one of the few films where I'd say that you should, that no, no snacks should be sold, period, is one of the first films I'm seeing uh, back in the cinema, which is a quiet place too. Like, you should <laughs> yeah. not, yes. I don't want to hear anything, not popcorn, not crisps, not picket mix, nothing at all. They shouldn't sell anything for that. They're not going to do that, but they shouldn't sell anything for yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely yeah. broken the popcorn corn rule when I've been, like, really hungry, but I feel like aim to finish the popcorn <laughs> before the actual movie starts. Commercials, all bets are off. Do what you like. It's just capitalism. During the trailers, <laughs> turn your it's still kind of capitalism to turn your phone off, but you may discuss the trailers going, mm, that looks good. Oh, Scarlett Johansson. But okay, so this is, this is interesting because you say about turning phones off and I'm a big advocate for having your phone on silent. Oh, yeah. Mode, not because I think there, you said, Amon, you're very fine out about this. You're very like, <laughs> like Old Testament, no fire and brimstones. But I think, 
I'm like existing in this grey area where it's like hypotheticals because I think one thing to forget is again like we're not just robots watching films there is things going on and I think sometimes there are situations where like you might need to have your phone on like just say you know someone have, just in case an emergency we're living in very fraught times guys <laughs> like you know it's not even about to answer the phone now if my phone rings and it's like repeatedly I'd go outside and answer it right I'd have a quick I do this sometimes I'll do this thing where it's like you can't really see it but like if I have my coat I put my coat over my phone over my head and just have a quick look so I'm not creating a blue light on anything but like I think sometimes there can be risky situations where you need to go I've been in like screenings where I've had to leave because I thought something had changed and I have to go back straight away so I feel like just have your phones off just don't be texting like there's things do you know what I mean it's like don't be checking it every two minutes don't be texting like being Um, real yeah like these uh, these are my personal rules and like my general rule for other people is just be conscious of your neighbours yes conscious yeah yeah. because also what have you got a cinema to yourself it's like yeah yeah I've done that (laughs) and then it's just like whatever smacking phone on because like you're only ruining your own experience I think like my actual rule is just you know see who's sitting around you and and don't try and impact their thing but personally yeah especially when it's like packed like there have been press rooms and tell you what there have been times when I brought like plus one like a friend and they do not have the same respect for the <laughs> And they will never pass one to screening again. <laughs> no, there's like no actually there is there are definitely like people that they make an error, they do they embarrass me or do things I don't like, I don't invite back to the screening. Because I just I'm think straight. like this is I'm not I'm not apologizing for you. I kind of right, do you wanna hear some do you wanna hear some talking about like I've had some some terrible dates at cinema <laughs> two, in fact. I took a guy I was dating to the to the premiere of Kingsman 2. Now, you know, it's not a great movie, but it was a premiere, and so I sat down with him, and I was, you know, as people, I mean, sorry, this is getting a bit inside, you know, cinema mm-hmm. thing, but, like, when you go to a press screening, it's in the big one, it's Leicester Square, and there's, like, loads of people, but you're, you're it's kind of a work event, really, if you mm-hmm. think about it. It's work, we're with our colleagues, we're going there for work. And I brought this guy I was dating, and he didn't like Colin Firth. He thought Colin Firth was the Tory. This guy's a very, like, staunchy left. He was like, I saw him, he was going to throw popcorn at Colin Firth when he was coming out. Colin Firth, star of this movie. And I was like, don't do that. I was like, don't do that. Like, literally don't. And then he did it. And I was like, wow. Like, I can't believe that this person did that. Anyway, needless to say. (laughs) It didn't work out. (laughs) Liam, Liam, you're gone. You're out. You're done. Anyway. But yeah, I think there's definitely like etiquette. There has to be at cinema. So my, my thing about food, though, I remember when I... I mean, mine used to be... When I used to go to my parents, because we used to do, like, triple bills during the day. We used to have those Cineworld cards, and we'd go see, like, knock them out. And my, I'd always get a Ben & Jerry's. And you've got, like, half an hour trailers. That ice cream isn't lasting. <laughs> it's not lasting. It's like even, like, the opening 20th Century Fox thing. Um, mm. I should say, well, it was 20th Century Fox back then. Um, but there have been times because I had that Cineworld card there'd be times where I'd have a day off and I'd go to West India Keys and I'd be like right I've got these films I want to get all these in there wouldn't be a break so I'd bring food in with me but normally it's during the day that no one's there but I swear I brought in like rotisserie chicken <laughs> <laughs> I was like I'm having but like it's, a, it's like midday who's, a, who's in a cinema at midday on a Wednesday me this guy <laughs> with my oh, but I always take my rubbish away that's why I always make sure I do as well yeah. I always no, take my that, rubbish away that is very good I've, I've worked in cinemas believe me it makes such a difference 
Uh, so yeah, definitely taking rubbish away. I think my thing about the phones, um, I can see that there may be extenuating circumstances every now and then, but I actually, I mean, <laughs> my fan will tell you, I love my phone. I'm always on it. The only time my phone is off ever is when I'm at a cinema, completely off, because I want to fully give myself over to the film. I don't want to be worrying about the time. I don't want to be worrying about anybody texting me. I'm not worrying about it, but I don't even want to be thinking about it. I just want to fully give myself over to the experience. And I think there's something beautiful about that. Um, you know, when I've been uh, streaming, um, you know, films, like I, I don't turn off my phone because like, you know, there's nobody know, else around. And like, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I've, I've watched a lot of fantastic films uh, over the past year with streaming. I have not remembered the experience of watching any of those films. Not a one. Um, part of the beauty of the cinematic experience is, is the experience of it and remembering, you know, how you felt before, during, and after the conversations after when you're with your plus ones or when you're with your family discussing the film, the popcorn beforehand when you're discussing the film. And so on, all of that is part of the experience. You don't get that. You don't fully get that if your phone is on for me in any type of way. And I think, you know, knowing how much I love my phone and other, aspe and other aspects of my life, I think there's something beautiful about cinema being the only time when my phone is completely 100% off. And yeah, that's why I love it. That's beautiful, Amon. I actually agree. I definitely feel like I, I, I do, uh, I wonder, I feel somewhat guilty when I'm at home because I am distracted by my phone. So actually it's quite nice. This is, see, this is the reason why we go back to cinema, to get off your phone and stop being addicted to it. So there we go, yeah. there's a health perk as well, guys. Get off your phone, as we saw on Mitchell's versus the Machines. Yes. Don't be on your phone all the time. Live it, experience it, and then record your reactions afterwards. Can I <laughs> add one thing that I wish we could have in cinemas and would be a thing? Yeah. Individual blankies. <laughs> because sometimes it gets real cold in there and i want to be cozy but it true. feels like socially i cannot just like get a little blankie out and wrap myself in the blankie and during you know <laughs> what just do it clarice and i actually like uh, this is what's quite good about having a big coat i have this quite big coat that i'll just like it it kind of it's like furry and i can basically just lie over my legs when I'm a bit nippy yeah see that's during winter time I use but I like to I like to make it go up to my neck to be fully inside the blanket <laughs> uh yeah see, in in general I don't disagree with that I just think it's dangerous for me because like when we get like the lazy boys I'm already flirting oh with God, being so yeah. comfortable that I'll fall asleep if you give me a blanket now it's dangerous for me yeah. it's really dangerous as, as someone who loves like my sofa it's got it's like an l-shaped one and the l's like the way so i can like lie down it's honestly sometimes guys i really have to force myself to sit up so i don't just like fall asleep how many times i've had to rewind movies and stuff because i've like missed a bit um so yeah i i'm not about that um 
bed life that they're <laughs> starting to incorporate. Yeah. I don't know. But, mm. but I guess but we're already excited. Because I don't have a sofa. <laughs> I just have a bed because I'm in a studio. <laughs> oh. I, and yeah, I fell asleep to spiral really briefly, but it's fine. I rewinded it. <laughs> it's totally fine. <laughs> and you were like, I should have stayed asleep. asleep. <laughs> I have fallen asleep quite a lot to movies, but not in the cinema. Um, well, I used okay. to when I had Sophia's sleep deprivation but that's a whole other story for another time yeah that's a whole different podcast let's do a sleep podcast because i do not sleep but normally just um, a little blankie a little blankie a little hot chocolate and i'd be very happy but that like see i don't even understand how that even works when you're not going to stay awake that for me it's like shot of espresso like even i prefer a colder cinema not too cold. I think I prefer cold cinema than a warm cinema because warmth will literally like I'm done. Oh, I'm yeah. gone. I'm fading. I guess. Yeah. No, I I'm not sure if you guys were at the screening for this. This was at the Leicester Square IMAX, and it was the Magnificent Seven, the Denzel one. And I think we were in the midst of a heat wave. The way oh, that cinema heated up, my lord, have mercy. Whew, everyone was sweating. Everyone oh, was sweating. God um yeah it was nasty i guess i just i i think of going to the cinema as like returning to a womb state (laughs) (laughs) so i want to feel like you know like real i want to be in your womb that has hot chocolate (laughs) yes like give me that a real like pampered pre-life <laughs> give me that magical realism a, a <laughs> i had a hot chocolate you know it was all good I had sound system i loved being in the womb i i why me. why are you trying to give me this this visual in my head i i don't like <laughs> what, what, what's making you comfortable about wombs amon do wombs scare you did me saying womb <laughs> There was a whole conversation pit in there. It was decked out. I loved being in the womb. So that's it for another week. Thank you for tuning in. And please do enjoy another week of viewing um, by whatever medium is the most safest for you. And I really hope, and I think we all agree, we hope that you'll find a cinema uh, to watch something on. Just not spiral. Uh, (laughs) um, do subscribe rate and leave us a review if you love the podcast and tweet us if you have something you'd love us to shout out next week use the hashtag fade to black pod and follow us i'm at hannah flint i'm at clarice lou and i'm at amon woman that's it farewell film friends it's time to fade to black